Hey, we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to finish our study through the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, This is the 21st uh, installment of uh, 21-part messages through, uh, through six chapters of the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you've been with us through the uh, study through the book of Ephesians, you know that uh, Ephesians is broken into two parts. Uh, the first half of the book uh, talks about the wealth that we have in Christ, and the second half of the book talks about our walk in Christ. And the big idea uh, of the book of Ephesians is that our wealth in Christ is an inextricably linked to our walk in Christ. <clears throat> and just as our children are benefited by our wealth, so too we are the beneficiaries of the wealth that we've received in Jesus Christ. And just as our children must grow up and transition from our wealth to their own walk, so too we as children of God must do the same. Uh, you know, it's, it's cute when you've got a four-year-old, a five-year-old that, that is depending on your wealth and, and, and all, but it's not so cute when you've got a 40 or 50-year-old depending on your wealth. There reaches a point in time when you want your kids to grow up uh, and, and start, you know, having their own family and their own walk and so on. Well, it's much the same way with God. That he, that he has given to us uh, this abundant wealth in Jesus Christ. And, and, and what we have, the wealth that we have in Christ, is that we are now children of God. We are born again. The, the penalty for our sins have, has been paid. The Bible says that, that we, we, are, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And the Bible says that, that because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. But it says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so, so if, if we, having you know, come face-to-face with, a, with our depravity and, and, and face-to-face with God's provision for our sin and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then what we have now is a choice to make. Will I surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ and will I receive the wealth, the riches that he has for me as, as a child of God by faith? By, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not about the works that you would do to earn a right standing with God. And sometimes when you talk about the wealth that you have in Christ and the, and the walk that you have to have in Christ, sometimes people confuse that. And they, they, they confuse the idea when you talk about the responsibility that we have as Christians to walk in newness of life. Uh, they, they confuse it with this idea of somehow you, you have to earn a right standing with God. We're not talking about salvation when we talk about your walk with the Lord. We're talking about the, the things that you do from your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift by faith in Jesus Christ. And once you've done that, now it's a matter of, okay, now you're, you are a child of God. Now it's time to start growing up. Now it's time to start learning how to walk and how to walk obediently to the things of God. And Paul summarizes this thought in Ephesians 5, 8, where he says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Walk, he says, therefore, as children of the light. And so what Paul then does is he expands now through the rest of the epistle to address several specific aspects of, of how we are to walk. And, and again, if you've been with us, you've been going through this. We looked at walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. We looked at walking in submission, wives submitting to their husbands, 
husbands submitting to the Lord, children submitting to their parents, uh, employees uh, submitting to their employers, you know, slaves to their masters, and so on. Uh, and, and so we looked at this idea of walking in submission. We also looked at walking in power, walking in, in the power of God, and, and how to wage warfare, not according to flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realm. And that was our last uh, study uh, a couple of weeks ago. And now, today, we conclude this letter, and we're focusing on walking in fellowship as we examine how Paul maintained supportive and accountable relationships within the church. So this idea of walking in fellowship. Now, the dictionary defines fellowship as a community bound together in friendship and mutual support. Let me say that again. Fellowship is a community bound together in friendship and mutual support. Super, super important. It's important in the, in the church, certainly, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but it's also important just humanly speaking. As a matter of fact, as human beings, fellowship is essential to our health and well-being. According to Leonard Simi, who's a professor of, of uh, epidemiology at UC Berkeley, which is a study of diseases, basically he says the more social ties that people have, the better their health and the lower their death rate. Um, certainly it's pointed out a man wants to die and then to face judgment, the Bible says, and the statistics are overwhelming. One out of every one person dies. You will keep your appointment with death. That's, that's not the issue. It's not like you lower the death rate and you, know, you don't die. But the idea is if you have strong social ties, if you are connected relationally with, with many people in a healthy way, then, then statistically... The, the, the numbers show that you're going to have better health and you're going to live longer. That's the idea. Conversely, the, the more isolated a person is, according to uh, Leonard Simi, this professor, professor of, uh, of uh, epidemiology at UC Berkeley, it, the more isolated you are, the poorer your health statistically and the higher your death rate. So, so the, the, the idea is that it's, it's, it's healthy to be in relational fellowship with one another. Now, the great theologian Ringo Starr got it right when he said, we get by with a little help from our friends, right? We do. And so that's the idea. And, and indeed, fellowship, it not only benefits us physically, but it benefits us spiritually as well. And it's mandated in the Bible that we should be in fellowship with one another. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 tells us that two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. So here's what we're going to do today as we finish uh, this epistle. We're going to look at three components of healthy fellowship uh, and the benefits that, that, that those components bring. You guys ready? Ephesians, you ready? Yeah? All right, this is participatory. All right, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 21. But that you also may, be, may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Now, if you're taking notes, the, the, the first component of healthy fellowship is to cultivate relationships where you know one another's affairs. 
This is the, the first component of healthy fellowship. You need to cultivate relationships where you know one another's affairs, where you know each other's business. That's the idea. And that's the rub, right? See, Paul says, but that you also may know my affairs. Now, remember, Paul's in prison here. Uh, and yet notice that he makes it a priority to communicate his affairs to this church. Why does he do that? Well, there's two interlinked reasons for this. The one is accountability, and the second is example. He, he wants these, uh, this Ephesians church to know that you know, he's accountable to them, and also he wants to set an example for them. The, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, now I'm going to leave that up there for just a minute. I want you to look at that word consider. It's a very important word. Here's what it literally means. It means to observe attentively and to fix one's eyes upon to observe intentively and, and, and uh, attentively and to fix your eyes upon. Now, here's the deal. We don't like this. Our flesh doesn't like this. My flesh wants to tell you, mind your own business. That's what my flesh wants to tell you. My flesh wants to say, hey, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. No, we just want to be able to say, hey, there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. You just focus on your own walk, you know? And we have a tendency to do that. Somebody starts butting their nose into our business, and we're like, mind your own business, you know? And, and somebody, inevitably, they'll say something about your life and, and poke their nose into your business, and you're like, you want to talk about me? Take a look in the mirror, Jack. And you start, you know, going off on, you know, all the stuff that they have to look at. But, and there are those people that are busybodies and, and all, and I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is a healthy degree of... of of accountability and example. And this is, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews uh, is talking about here. I believe it's the Apostle Paul. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's basically saying, look, we need to observe attentively. We need to be looking at one another, fixing our eyes on one another. And if you do that, if you live that out, obedient to the scriptures with the right heart, and the heart isn't, I want to eyeball you so I can cap on you and I can tear you down and I can, you know, post bad things about you on Facebook or, you know, gossip about you to my friends. No, it's, I want to, as Paul says, I want to consider how I can spur you on towards love and good deeds. And, and, and he says, how we may spur one another on. Here's the idea. The idea is, if I live this out, this is true accountability. This is, this is where, man, the process is, I'm modeling what's right, and I'm also modifying what's wrong. You get that? If, if, if I'm considering, observing attentively, and fixing my eyes on your life in accountable relationship, and if I'm allowing you to do the same thing with me, well, then in the process, the idea is I want to spur you on towards love and good deeds. You want to spur me on towards love and good deeds. And so there's that motivation there. There's that, there's that motive there for, hey, I want to model what's right to you so that I can spur you on in that way. And I also want you to have the permission to modify in me what's wrong and vice versa. See, this is so critically important. See, and, and the, the issue here is, and the question that, that comes up is, how effective can you be doing this, Paul, when you're hundreds of miles away, right? How effective can he be? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
We're talking about cultivating relationships where you know one another's affairs. Paul's modeling, hey, I want you to know my affairs. And, and we see now in 1 Corinthians an example where he's aware of the Corinthians' affairs. We see through the book of Ephesians, he's aware of what's going on with the Ephesians. There's that mutual accountable kind of relationship. Now, 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 11, here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. Now, he names names, right? That there are contentions among you. And now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. See, what had happened in the, in the Corinthian church was that they had become divided, and they had developed these different factions. I'm on the Apollos team, I'm on the Paul team, I'm on the Jesus team. And so what had happened was, there within the church, you had, you know, all these guys, well, I'm a fan of Paul. Paul's the, we're in the Paul camp. You know, and, the, and we're in the Apollos camp and so on. And they had become divisive. Now, Jesus knew it was going to be this way. He prayed in the garden, his, his high priestly prayer. Father, I pray that they would be one, even as you and I are one. Why did he pray that? Because he knew there would be divisions that would come into the church. See, Jesus said, all, all men will know you're by my disciples by the love you have, one for another, but we're human. So what happens is we have these divisions that come in. Well, so Paul, this is what's going on here. And so he's writing to, to the, these Corinthians and he's basically saying, hey, I got a report on you guys. You know, again, Hebrews 10, 23, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love good deeds. Um, you know, it's basically he's saying, look, I'm considering, I'm, I'm watching you attentively, observingly. I got my eyes on you. And it's been reported to me that, that there's divisions, there's contentions among you. Now, put yourself, you're there, this letter comes, and, and they get to this part of the letter, and now, you know, it's being read, Paul's got his message for you, here it comes, and he says, hey, guess what, those of Chloe's household tell me that you guys, are you're all fighting and everything, what does everybody do in the meeting? They all look over at Chloe, they're like, oh, come on, man. What the heck? You know, why you got to rat us out like that, right? I mean, come on, you know, that's the way it went down. For sure, that's got to be part of the dynamic. Hey, Chloe tells us you're all fighting. You all got your little factions. And, and you know, the, all the Chloe's household there, they ratted you out, basically. And everybody's like, way to go, Chloe. Good job, you know. And, and so there's this attitude there. For sure, that's, that's got to be part of the dynamic. You know, stinking Chloe. Why do you got to go and open your mouth, you know? Uh, why don't you mind your own business, you busybody, you pot stirrer, you know, kind of thing. Well, here's the deal. Sin thrives in secret. Does it not? Sin thrives in secret. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What's that mean? That means a real friend's going to tell you the truth. A real friend is going to say, hey man, there's something wrong here. It needs to be made right. We see this within the church. I'll get calls, you know, from, from you know, either a husband or a wife, you know, and they're going through marriage counseling. Usually, just statistically, it's usually the wife. She's the one that calls. Not always. Sometimes it works the other way around. But usually, I'll just go with the majority what happens is I'll get a husband and wife that are there in my office and, and the guy basically, he feels like he's been set up. He's mad. He's like, you know what? You ratted me out. 
I'm like, no, dude, she helped you out. She didn't rat you out. She helped you out. See, because the issue is, is that a lot of times what happens is we get into these trouble and what we want to do is we want to isolate, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you been there? I don't want people in on my business. I just, I'll just deal with it myself. But the, but the problem is we don't deal with it ourselves. This is what I like to call a Bobby Brown philosophy. Uh, or if, if, you know, for some of you, you, you know, I'm going to quote this and, and you're going to go, no, that's, that's not Bobby Brown, that's Britney Spears. She covered it, she ripped it off. But here it is. Here's, here's, here's Bobby Brown's philosophy. Everybody's talking all this stuff about me. Why don't they just let me live? I don't need permission. Make my own decisions. That's my prerogative, right? And, and what's the very next line? It's my prerogative. I'll do what I want to do. That is our attitude. And we're like, well, why do you got to be all up in my business? It's my prerogative. It's my life. You can just, you know, this is between A and B. See yourself out of it, you know. And, and that's, that's our attitude. Here's the problem with that. The writer of Proverbs says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. See, so the issue here is that we have to, if we want to be able to have healthy fellowship, what we have to do is we have to cultivate relationships where you do know one another's affairs, where you do let people in, where you do allow people to tell you, hey, metaphorically speaking, your zipper's down, pal, right? Metaphorically speaking, you know, you got a little something right here in your teeth, you know, you might want to deal with. Now, inevitably, when people do that, we have a tendency to, to react poorly, you know, and not everybody receives, you know, such input, I'll say it that way, not criticism or whatever the case may be, but we, we don't, inevitably, we don't receive it very well. You know, somebody says something, we're like, yeah, and you're stupid, you know, whatever it is, and we lash out. But the issue here is, again, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so critically important, man, we need to be able to understand sin thrives in secret and there's a great protection if we will have accountable relationships with other people. Uh, Again, men with men, women with women, husbands and wives accountable to one another. There's a lot I could say about this, but can I just tell you that this is very healthy. And, and it should be something that not only do you welcome, but it should be something that, that you foster and that you actively work on. To where you give your spouse your, you know, your permission to be able to speak into your life. There needs to be that mutual accountability. And you, we need to be very careful you know, not to take advantage of that. But it's so critically important that we invite this. My, my wife is a great source of accountability for me. Uh, and I welcome that because I understand that the, the, the nature of the heart is to isolate. And once you, get put, once you get into a place of isolation, then Satan can really have his way with you. So, so critically important. Well, moving on, the second component of healthy relationships that we see Paul do here is that he surrounds himself, and I'll say it this way, surround yourself with faithful friends. Surround yourselves with faithful friends. Now, notice again that Paul mentions his friend Tychicus there in verse 21. He says, he says, but, but that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Now, Tychicus arguably is a very faithful friend. How do we know that? 
Well, if you were with us when we were going through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20, we saw that Tychicus was among the men that traveled with Paul from the place that he served there in Ephesus. And he traveled with him, and he traveled with him at extensive distances. I mean, think about it. You know, Paul in Rome, Tychicus is there. Rome's about a thousand miles from Ephesus. Now, I mean, you know, in, in that day and age, you weren't jumping on a plane you weren't, you know, you weren't taking a, a, a bus or whatever. I mean, it was a thousand mile journey. Man, that, there was a lot invested in that. That's a, that's a huge thing. Here's the deal. It's talking about faithful friendships. Some of you aren't really good friends. You, you, we have to take a look in the mirror and go, you know, am I really a faithful friend? Because a lot of us, it's like, if I'm put out, then I ain't doing it. It's been, a, it's been said that a friend is the one who runs in when everybody else runs out. A friend's the guy you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning and borrow money from. A friend's a guy that you can call up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I have to move and I'm in trouble, can you help? Right? That puts it in perspective. And, and some of us, we just can't be bothered. Tychicus, he's a faithful guy, man. I mean, he travels a thousand miles before airfare. I heard, heard a guy talking about this. I was telling Brenda about this yesterday. The, the, the guy was talking about just the, the, the miracle of flight. He's like, it blows me away. People will complain. They'll be like, my plane is an hour late. It was horrible. And then the service was horrible. It was the worst day of my life. He's like... Hey, a hundred years ago, it would take you like five years to travel across country. People would be born on the trip. People would die on the trip. He's like, you know, you, you know, delayed an hour. And he's, he's telling the story. He says, you know, I'm on this flight. They have Wi-Fi that's available on the flight. He said, I'm, I'm at 35,000 feet on the internet. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this thing, the, the internet goes down. And, and, and when the internet goes down, the guy next to him is like, oh, pff, this is stupid. He's like, five minutes ago, you didn't even know this existed. Now you're all upset because it's not available for you? Hey, here's a thought. You're on a chair sitting 35,000 feet in the air, traveling 600 miles an hour. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And here you are, you know, you're complaining. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm telling Brenda this story, and we, and we just happen to be walking through Seattle Airport, and we get to our gate... Our flight's delayed, an hour. Brenda's like, you remember that story you were telling? I'm like, yeah, actually, I do. Tychicus, he traveled a thousand miles, you know, just to, to be there by Paul's side, to be faithful to him. Proverbs says that a man that has friends must show himself friendly. See, and, and this is the issue, is that, men, we, we need to be faithful friends to one another. And from time to time, I'll hear this. And, and this drives me crazy, by the way, when I, especially when I hear this in, in our church. I'll hear people say that, you know, they, that they can't make friends. Or that they'll say, you know what, there's, there's cliques here in the church. And that drives me crazy for two reasons. The first reason is because it's everything we're against. And I hate to hear that somebody's having problems connecting relationally. See, because Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And, and, he, and he said, and then he gives a freebie. Second is like it. He says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. 
It says on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Whole Bible hinges, loving God, loving others. So what we do here, man, I want people to be connected relationally. So everything I've done strategically as a church has been centered around how do I get people connected relationally? That's why we have growth groups midweek and I don't have a midweek service. Now, that's not to say sometime down the road we might not have a midweek service, but I'm always going to have growth groups and it's always going to be something that we push and promote and expand. I mean, we've got a couple of dozen growth groups right now. And the reason I do that is because regardless of what God does with the church, I mean, you read through the book of Acts, it says that, that you know, as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and the breaking of bread and fellowship and all that, that, that God added daily to the church, such as should be saved. Well, we focus on those four things, the teaching of the word and prayer and and fellowship and partaking of communion. We make that essential to what we do, and we've experienced the same thing, that God continues to add to the church. Well, what I want to do is I want to be able to have growth groups so that as God adds to the church, we keep people connected relationally so so that no matter how big we grow, and that's up to the Lord, whoever he wants to add, we still have a dynamic where where you come in and there's people who know your name, there's people who know your face, there's people who know what are going on in your life. Man, it's so critically important that, that we have this. And, and, and so the, the idea here is that as we, as we gather together in this way and as we, as we get connected, man, I want you to be able to connect relationally. So when I hear people say, oh, there's clicks or I'm having trouble connecting, it drives me crazy because it's everything we're against. But there's another reason that it drives me crazy. Drives me crazy because we're exhorted <coughs> to show ourselves friendly. Again, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. In other words, the idea is if you want friends, you have to be a friend. If you want friends, you have to be a friend. Jesus put it this way in Luke's gospel. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The idea is that if you don't have friends, what I would say is be a friend. Start treating other people the way you want to be treated. Just, just start being that person that's, that's going to do to others what you would have them do to you. Being that one who comes in when the whole world goes out. What kind of a friend are you? That's my question. See, if you're, in a, if you're in a situation, especially even right now in this church, where you say, look, it's hard for me to connect and there's clicks and, and, and you know, I'm not making friends, I would say, what are you doing to make friends? Just make it a point to say, I'm going to be a friend to people. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to do my best to connect with people relationally, relationally. See, it's so critically important that we do this. See, because what happens is, a writer of Proverbs says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, certainly speaking of Jesus Christ, who's faithful even when everybody else is not. But what sticks out to me is here, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, and, and I, the question I ask is, how reliable am I as a friend? How reliable am I? Another important aspect of being a faithful friend, and this is really important, I don't, want to, I don't want to miss this or, or, or not touch on this point. But faithful friends are truthful with one another. They tell each other the truth. Listen, even when the truth hurts. In fact, especially when the truth hurts. And, and notice, you know, basically Paul says this. He says, but that you also 
may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. He's going to make all things known to you. Which, which you know, just includes, hey, look, <coughs> I'm seeing this. You need to know this. You guys are doing this and that's not good. I just went through this this week. I had a very difficult conversation this week with someone I had to say some very difficult things to. And I, and I didn't say them because I wanted to win an argument or because, you know, I, I, I had any sort of dislike for the person. In fact, it's quite the contrary. I, I have an intense love for this person and, and I said these things because I have a genuine concern for them and a genuine concern for where they're at. And, and, and that's what a friend does. A friend will say the things that other people won't. And sometimes, and I, and I think this is a word from the Lord for, for, for some of you here, that, that maybe you're involved in a relationship and you haven't been saying what needs to be said. And listen, you can love people straight to hell. And people in the name of love will, will, will tolerate things and they won't say different things because, you know, they love them. But, but I have in my mind's eye that person going to hell and them looking at you and saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And, and so the thing is, is that it's so critically important that we surround ourselves with faithful friends because the, the, the tendency and the nature of the human heart in isolation is to get into trouble and to, to, to rebel and to, and to wander. And that's why two are better than one. That's why they have a good reward for their labor because you're going to have a down day and you need someone that's going to love you and be faithful to love you and tell you the things that nobody else will tell you. I just ask you, do you have those people in your life? Super important that you do. Well, the third component of healthy fellowship is to comfort and encourage one another. To comfort and encourage one another. Paul says, again in verse 21 and 22, that Tychicus, a faithful brother and minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. And here's the point, that he may comfort your hearts. Now, certainly that means that he's going to give them a full update where Paul is concerned and tell them, you know, all of Paul's affairs. But it also undoubtedly means that, that he'll also be sharing the deeper truths of the gospel with them. I mean, Tychicus has been with Paul. He's been sitting under Paul's teaching. He has deeper truths to be able to share and to impart to them. And so what, he, what he's going to be doing... As, as, he, as he's telling them these things, making all things known to them, well, and he's going to be proclaiming the word of God to them. He's going to be teaching them on a deeper level what it means to be a follower of the Lord. And, and so, you know, what we need to understand is that as, as we seek the Lord, well, the Bible tells us that God himself is our comfort. The Bible says that his rod and his staff comfort us, his rod, that symbolic uh, thing of, of God's, you know, uh, uh, instruction or his discipline to us, the staff of his, you know, correcting our course and adjusting us and so on. Then when God does these things in our lives, when he disciplines us or when he, when he, you know, pulls us up short or, you know, stops us in our tracks from going wayward, <coughs> these are things ultimately that should bring us comfort and do because well, if he didn't love you, he wouldn't discipline you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't correct your course. He wouldn't care about you. And so again, when the Bible says that his rod and his staff comfort us, it's because he cares. 
And the Bible says that, in fact, his word was written for our comfort. Again, Romans 15.4 says that for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patient and, here it is, comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Here's the point. The point is that in a true and healthy friendship, what's going to happen is we're going to encourage one another in the word. That when you come to me and you say, well, I feel this or I think that, I'm going to respond by saying, does your feeling match up with our faith? Does, does what you think match up with what God's word says? And see that when we instruct one another in God's word, in fact, what we're doing scripturally is we're going to bring comfort to one another. And not only that, but the Bible says that a true friend comforts out of their trials, Again, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Brenda and I were having a conversation yesterday, and, and you know, basically I was talking about the ministry, and I was talking about you know, the... The shepherd's heart that is, that is needful in the church. That, 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 a, that a shepherd, you know, Paul exhorted Timothy, be, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. And that a true shepherd is going to be diligent to know the state of his flocks. And, and the example that I used was um, a, a mom with her child uh, or a dad with his child. You know, you know, when you, you know your, ch- your child's cry. You know the frustrated cry. You know the hurt cry, you know the I'm tired cry, you know, and, and so, it, you know, there's these different cries. Why? We know. We know when we see our kids and they're acting, you know, kind of off and we're like, something's amok there, something's wrong, I, you know, some sort of instinct. Why? Well, because, because you know them, you're intimately connected with them. And what's my point? Here's my point. The idea of comforting and encouraging one another, if we have the true biblical fellowship that we're supposed to have, then what you, what you ought to have in your life is people that can know you enough to be able to see you and say, what's wrong? I mean, just the other day, I'm sitting at the table, I make this face, Brenda's like, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? I'm, 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 I didn't say a word. And, I, 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 and she, she says, you're thinking about this. I'm like, Yes, that's kind of spooky, you know, when they could, she just knew by looking at me. We need friends that know that, that when, when you're going through something that they, they're just so connected with you and you so connected with them that you just, hey, I see it, what's going on? Why is that so important? Here's why it's so important. I'm trying to remember who said it. I think it, it might have been Thoreau, but basically it was most people live quiet lives as desperation right? Um, and, and the thing is, is that we go, through, we go through issues, don't we? There are people here today, right now, that are struggling with horrible things. There are some people here uh, that, that are struggling with suicidal thoughts. There's some people here that are struggling with, with great anguish or, or huge trials. And the Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And you know from experience, don't you? There are those times, I've had some of the most profound experiences that I've ever had when I was the deepest, when I was the most wounded. I had a friend that just knew. Sometimes it was, a, look, 
I don't know what to say, bro, but I, but I love you, and I'm sorry you're going through that. Man, I mean, sometimes that just made my day. That's just going to help me to get through, you know, to get through this situation. You know, someone just being there just to say, hey, I see what you're going through, and, and, and I care. And I, re- I re- read recently a story about a kid that was walking home from school. He'd written a suicide note. And uh, he was going home to kill himself. And uh, somebody, some random kid from his, from his high school just happened to stop and invited him to go do something. And, and he just made the overture to, 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 be, to befriend this, this kid who, who was fairly new and had no friends. And he said years later that, that he never knew it, but he saved his life. And there's, there's people, maybe you're sitting right next to him today. And what they desperately need is they need fellowship. And what I, what, what I want you guys to understand is that this is what God has set up. This is the system that, that he has put in place in the, in the body of Christ, in the church. That we are to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be family to one another. We are to be able to come to church where we enjoy the kind of relationship where somebody can look at us and say, what's wrong? What's going on? Where somebody can say, I know what you're going through. I've been praying for you. We have a brother right now. He's, he's, he's uh, flown back east. His, his father just passed away yesterday. And just watching Facebook, just, just person after person, I'm praying for you right now. I love you care about you. We need this. And, and, and God help us, if, the, if we're coming to church week in and week out, and we don't have this, listen, we need this. We desperately need it. We have it available to us. It requires your participation and my participation. And we have to be friends one to another and to bear one another's burdens in this way. This is why the psalmist, no doubt, said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Man, so important. Well, that's the three components of healthy fellowship. What's the result? Well, listen, healthy fellowship results in peace. It results in love. It results in faith, faith, and it results in grace. Peace, love, faith, and grace. Here's what Paul says. He says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God and the, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Look, I just want to close with this. Do you have peace? Do you have love? Do you have faith? Do you have grace today? Do you have those things? If the answer is yes, then I would exhort you, give it away. God's calling you today through his word to be a friend to other people, to actively to engage and understand my role is to be a faithful friend to somebody else. Just as Paul had Tychicus, who am I being faithfully, a faithful friend to? And if the answer is no, I want to say a few things to you. First of all, if, if you don't have the peace and the love of God and his grace and you don't have that faith, I want to ask you where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because if today you say, man, those things all sound great. Why, why is it years ago that Cheers is so, so popular and the song so popular where everybody knows your name? That's what everybody longs for. They just want to belong. That's why, that's why gangs are so, so prevalent and so you know, successful. People just want a place to belong. And, and so, so the, the, the issue here is that, man, if you are, are saying, well, Pastor Ted, that's, that sounds amazing. I would love to be able to have all those things. I would tell you today, you can have all those things. We're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an invitation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you haven't known that kind of fellowship, you haven't known that kind of relationship, it's available to you. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. And it's not a relationship that you earn by doing good and trying harder. It's a relationship that, that, that you enjoy simply by receiving God's free gift. Jesus' death on the cross in your place for your sin. And so I'll give you an opportunity to receive Christ as we pray, and I exhort you to do that. And if you say, hey, look, I've done that, but I still lack those things, then I would say, look, you need to take some steps to, to, to make a friend and to engage with people, whether it's getting plugged into a growth group, whether it's doing what Jesus commanded and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You need to take the step to do that. There's a beautiful story in John's gospel where Jesus is going through Samaria and he encounters a woman at the well and he engages her in conversation and he asks her for a drink. And it's just this relational connection. It's just this random thing that happens. The woman's shocked because she's Samarian and you know, Jews don't typically talk to Samarians because they, 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 they're, they're oppositional to one another and so on. But Jesus just engages her in a conversation and he asks her for a drink of water. And, and, and basically, the end result is the, the asking for the drink of water turns into a conversation. It turns into Jesus, you know, just telling this woman what's going on in her life. And he basically puts his finger on the fact that she bends her life around men to find happiness and fulfillment and, and all. And he's like, you know, uh, you've, had, you've had five husbands and the, the one that you're with now isn't your husband. And she's just like, shocked, you know, that this comes out. Well, basically what ends up happening, she runs out, she tells, you know, all the men in town, you got to come meet this guy who told me everything about me. Now, Jesus didn't tell her everything about her, but he did tell her the one thing that was what her life was all, you know, revolving around. He put his finger right on her heart issue, man. And her reaction was, holy moly, you guys got to come, you got to come check this guy out. I think it's the Messiah. And, and the end result of the story, the, the, the report is that many, many, many were saved because of this woman's encounter with Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to suggest to you. What I want to suggest to you is that you can experience the same thing in your life. That as you, you engage relationally with other people, what will happen is you will experience Jesus moving and working in you, Jesus moving and working through you, And what will happen is through relationship, you will see people set free and you will see yourself set free as well.